0: Austin always says, three, two, one, go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Yeah. Well, now we know if we ever need someone to chase down other men in the church. I don't know if I've ever heard that on a Sunday morning before. That was amazing. If you're new here and you are a man, um, I hope that you know that you're still welcome here. Uh, that's great. As most of you recognized, we were not in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And that is intentional for a variety of reasons. Um, as we have been in the Sermon on the Mount for about four months, we are going to break from it for a few weeks, and there 's a reason for that um, first it 's that we want to just let that simmer a bit. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is is what I like to call deep work uh, it, it gets right down into the very uh, being of our existence and just starts to challenge us and it 's up close and personal and And I think that it's important that as we go throughout a sermon series like that, through a a sermon that Jesus preaches like that, that it's important that we step back and allow that to do some work before we just move on to the next thing. In the meantime, we've been spending uh, a lot of time in prayer for what this kind of summer series looks like. Uh, I I usually get, every December, I usually get some time to just sit and plan my calendar for the next year, as far as preaching goes and as i 'm working through that, I try to think in terms of seasons of of spring of summer, and of fall and, and as i as, as I think through that calendar, um, usually I try to get at least the text i 'm preaching or at least the the kind of general idea that we 'll be preaching through for the entire year, every December And this past December, as I was doing that, I felt like God was telling me not to plan anything for the summer. Uh, Just don't plan anything for the summer, which uh, is not my normal. Uh, I am a planner, and so it's been really like, okay, well, if that's what what you want us to do, we'll just kind of not plan anything. And so I left the summer blank. I had nine weeks in the summer from June to the end of July, and, and I just said, okay, we'll... We'll just wait and see. And so every month I was going back to that and I was praying through it. Like, all right, Lord, what do you want us to do in the summer? And still was getting nothing, which was super fun for me. Um, so the beginning of May, I'm sitting here. I'm like, all right, I've got like four weeks left and I have no idea what we're preaching in June. I have no idea what we're preaching in July. But I was feeling something. Um, I, w- I was feeling as if we're in a really pivotal time in our church and we need to make sure we're really intentional with this time in the summer. Um, I don't think that just because summer vacations are uh, abounding that we should throw away the summer months as it's just not that important. I, I actually think we should elevate the importance of those weeks because of the nature of what's happening in the body of Christ. And so I knew we needed a break from the Sermon on the Mount. I was feeling that myself. I was feeling that in the beginning of, May, of the May. But I didn't know exactly what our church needed this summer. And so as I was praying and talking it through with the other pastors of this church, we felt like it, it was very important that we were intentional about a few things. Summer, And so we're going to kind of change the Sunday service a little bit to reflect that. And while you may not have felt that this morning, you may in coming weeks. Let me read kind of what we've developed and kind of what we defined as what we're trying to think through this summer. As a pastoral team, we feel hopeful about the future of our church. We're just really genuinely excited about what the Lord seems to be doing here. And we're looking forward to this next season of our church life. We believe that God is in the process of doing something significant in us and in our city. And it's because of this that we want to spend some time over the next nine weeks really reinforcing our identity. Um, we we believe that it is important to reinforce our identity in Christ and the power of his spirit over the next nine weeks. We, we as a church, we, man, we're just... We're just, I, I've, I'm praying for 40 years here at this church. We're hoping that God just like does a work amongst us that actually like leads to uh, gospel renewal within us and in our city. And, and as we start to kind of prep and, and get into that, uh, we don't want to move forward in our own strength and in our own wisdom. Uh, we want to move forward inviting all of us every single one of us to abide in Christ together because we are, as we heard in communion this morning, members of one body. Uh, This summer is an opportunity for us collectively as members of one body to reorient our hearts to God and to one another through worship, the word, prayer and communion. Um, our communion time this morning was intentional. Like we we spent a little bit more time talking about what's happening in communion for a reason. Because for the next nine weeks, we're gonna be doing communion every week together because we believe there's something about it that unites us uniquely in our recognition of what Christ is doing for us, but also uniquely unites us to one another. Um, Here's what we know for Sunday services within the summer We know we're going to be sitting under the word of God together We know that We'll be in John 15 and then we'll be focusing on the Spirit's work in the church Through the book of Ephesians for about five weeks We know we're going to be spending increased time in prayer together During our Sunday morning gatherings We know that we're going to be taking communion every week together And we know that we're going to be worshiping God together. And the reason for this is because we are desperately trying to elevate what is happening in, one, our union with Christ, our relationship with him, and two, our relationship with one another. Uh, We don't believe that we can go anywhere if we forget one or both of those things. So this morning, over the next four weeks, our focus will be on reinforcing our identity in Christ. And so let me just say something to you really quickly, I hope this is a simple sermon. I hope this is not something you've never heard before. And I hope that as uh, we preach the word in its simplicity, that it does a work in our hearts and in our gathering that deeply shapes the way we look at Christ and deeply shapes the way we look at one another. Here's what I wanna argue today from this text that we're in in John 15. It's that in Christ, we have everything we need. And apart from Him, we have nothing. Simple, I hope it is. In Christ, we have everything we need And apart from him, we have nothing. In this passage of scripture, John chapter 15, Jesus opens with this incredible phrase, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is calling back to something in the Old Testament, as he often does. He's calling back to Isaiah chapter 5. And in Isaiah chapter 5, God has given a parable to the people of Israel that he is the vine dresser who has built and created a beautiful vineyard, and yet for all his work, the vineyard itself is wild. It's worthless. Jesus shows up here in this context of people who would have been hearing about vineyard language through failed vineyards in the Old Testament and he says, I am the true vine. What Jesus is trying to get at and what, what I think we should take from the testimony of Scripture about vineyards is that on our own, we cannot produce life. On our own, we cannot produce life life. We need a source. And so Jesus shows up in John chapter 15, and he is saying, I'm the true vine. I'm the source of life for God's people, and it's only in me that you can live a life pleasing to God. It's only in me that you can live at all. So let's just spend a second thinking clearly about this passage of scripture. Jesus is the starting point for a relationship with God. Jesus is the starting point for a relationship with God. Without his work in his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, his exalted ascension, and his future glorious return, you and I, we have no hope whatsoever. That's Christianity 101. I hope you've heard that before. That's new believers class. That's what verse 1 is saying. Christ is the vine. It is only him. No other way. No other way. Now here's where I think the turn happens in this chapter. Not only is Jesus the starting point. But we're going to learn that he is the constant source. The constant source. Verses 2 to 5, let me read those for us and then we'll kind of unpack them real quickly. I'm not going to be able to get into everything because we're going to be a little shorter this morning. But I think we can get the main ideas and wrestle with them and and, and apply them to our lives. Verse 2 through verse 5, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. There's two metaphors here that Jesus is using. Both of them are vital for our understanding of this passage. The first metaphor that he's using is the idea of fruit bearing and vineyard work. The second metaphor that Jesus uses is the concept of abiding. The concept of abiding. That's ridiculously important. These two metaphors inform each other. We cannot properly understand this passage if we don't understand that Jesus is using two separate metaphors to deepen and sharpen the meaning of the first metaphor. Verse 2 is this verse that my guess, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard preached in a particular way to get you to feel a little bit fearful about your Christian life. It's this verse that says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's frightening language right there, isn't it? My guess is, the way you've heard this preached before is you better bear fruit or else. So what happens is you hear that and you hyper focus on yourself, trying to make sure you bear some form of subjective external fruit so you can feel good about your Christian life. And eventually, what's gonna happen, if if that's the way you've kind of interpreted or read or heard this passage preached, is you're gonna feel disenfranchised by the lack of transformation you're seeing and this vacillation between confidence in your external action and fear at the lack of visible progress you're making is going to exhaust you. This passage is used as kind of like this motivator, like, hey, better bear fruit. And let me just, let me just say something. Fear is a terrible motivator. It's a terrible motivator. It might lead to behavioral change, but it will never lead to transformation. It will never lead to transformation. You can threaten someone into submission, but you cannot threaten people into love. If this metaphor Jesus uses is just about branches not bearing fruit, then we have a problem. But Jesus doesn't finish the analogy here in verse 2. He doesn't stop here. He continues on. He deepens it. In verses three onwards, helping us to understand the pathway to a fruitful life. Notice verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So if we interpret verse two as I better go work harder to bear fruit, we've misinterpreted the passage altogether because in verse four, Jesus comes back and he says, you can't do it on your own. You can't do this on your own. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And here we get to this second metaphor that Jesus uses. It's the metaphor of abiding. What does it mean to abide? Well, it means to make your home in. To To live within Christ. So the common mistake in the way we communicate about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the gospel is the invitation. And that's what kind of gets you into the party. But the way you dress, the gift you buy, how you get there, the way you operate at the party, all of that on you. And that's the the common misconception, the common way that we unintentionally treat the gospel is we say it's an invitation in, but everything after that, all yours, all on you. And essentially, what happens is we treat Jesus as a stop on the journey home, but he's not the actual destination. He's just kind of the way we get there. Well, here's what Jesus says Jesus says, I'm the entire package. I'm everything. Make your home in me. Abide in me. Everything, all of it, flows from me. You are sustained by me. You are not one who bears fruit on their own. You only bear fruit if you are connected to the vine. You only bear fruit if you are at home in Christ. I am the true vine. It is in me that you have life. This is not just an invitation but it's rivers of living water that pour out into every aspect of your being. Only when our home is found in Christ is there hope of bearing fruit. What does that look like? What does it look like to bear fruit because this is what's clear in this passage. When you are constantly connected to Christ, when you're, deeping, or when, we're, when you're drinking deeply from the well of Christ and you are making your home with him, you will bear fruit. You will. That's, the, that's what this passage says. You will bear fruit. Well, what does that fruit look like? It's metaphoric language, but where do we pick up this idea of fruit? Certainly we could argue from this passage and further on that this fruit is related to love but but I think the apostle Paul builds out this idea in Galatians 5 in Galatians 5 22-23 he says this the fruit of the spirit so the evidence that the spirit is in you working to glorify Christ the evidence that Christ has made his home in you and you have made your home in Christ is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law there is no restraint on those things. Abundance, go for it, have fun. Liberty, freedom in those things. What is the Christian life? Well, it is not doing enough good to outweigh the bad in the rest of your life. The Christian life is being so connected to the source that he naturally flows out from us into every area of life, producing beautiful fruit over time. What Jesus wants us to see is that it's not enough to be a branch. I have some branches on the side of my house. They were cut off from trees a long time ago. I guarantee you they're not building and producing any fruit. It's not enough to be a branch. Maybe, let me put that more simply. It's not enough to look the part. It's not enough. It's not enough to pray a prayer and say I'm good. That that idea that it's just, well, I said a prayer a long time ago, like that's kind of the the invitation, right? I, I took the invitation and now I do all the Christian activity that's not, that's not gonna produce fruit. Might produce behavioral change. But it won't produce anything of lasting value. Jesus wants us to see it's not enough to be a branch. You need to make your home with him. It's not enough to do religious activity. Christ needs to be the very reason you get up in the morning. You see, Christ asks for much more than simple religious obedience. He provides life. And it is only in him that life is found. In Christ, we have everything we need and we have nothing apart from him. Like this is something that burdens me deeply uh, as a pastor is, does the Christian life simply look like you did the right stuff? I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not what, I mean, we believe that Christianity has changed as part of the, part of the, the deal, like you grow in your likeness of Christ over time. We believe that. But if that's all it is, if it's just that you changed your out, out external behavior, like man, self-help books can do that in a store. This, this has to be something deeper. It, it, you see, external change is, is not what the gospel is after, even though that is a result of it. <laughs> The gospel is after being at home with Christ. It's not an invitation to get in the door, it's everything. It's everything. Here's something fascinating about this passage. You'll notice in verse 2 that the the knife of the vine dresser, essentially the, the pruning shears are coming out and they come to everyone. Every single person receives the knife of the vine dresser. Whether they are connected to Christ or not. Every single person is pruned. Have you ever in your life had a season, like in your Christian life, where you feel like you're starting to get pretty good at this whole bearing fruit thing? Like you're starting to notice, like, man, I... I have some moments where I'm like reading my Bible every day. I have some moments where I feel like I'm growing in love for my kids. and I'm growing in love for my wife. I feel like I'm actually like genuinely uh, a decent person to be around. I'm like, man, people should hang out with me more. And then uh, out of nowhere, you start to realize that uh, like you're not as far along as you thought you were. Like maybe maybe the Lord brought a certain person into your life or you walked through a situation and you realized that the things you ran to weren't Christ but were instead to uh, external comforts and you just started to notice like, man, I am, I am not as far along in this thing as I thought I was. That's because you're being pruned. God is far too kind to let you think that you've got this down, because if he were to let you think that you've got this down, you would start to think you could do it on your own. And Christ is far too kind to let you think you can do this on your own. In his abundant kindness, he prunes us, not because he's angry with us, but because he desires that we'd stay close to the vine, that we'd stay attached to Christ as our only hope for growth, as our only hope for life. He prunes us because he knows that in order for us to continue bearing fruit, we have to stay close to him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In verse 6, we have the, the end result of not abiding. You read it for us. Verse 6 says this. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. The end result of not abiding in Christ is that you become nothing. You wither away and you die useless. It's the Bible's language, not mine. See, I think, I think something that's important for us to grab out of this chapter is you can actually do a lot apart from Christ. You actually can. But nothing that you do apart from Christ can bring life or eternal value. Nothing. It, it is only in him that we have Life. It is only in him that we have life. Notice the reason for bearing fruit in verse 5 and the reason for not bearing fruit in verse 6. In verse 5, you have one who was connected to Christ. And in verse 6, you have one who was not. In verse 5, you have one who made their home in Christ. And in verse 6, you have one that did not. The knife of the vine dresser came down on both. And one, because it was connected to the vine, was pruned and a pathway Through that pruning was made to bear more fruit and one because it was not connected to the vine was cut off. The invitation of the gospel is not I'll get you in the door and you can get your act together. The invitation of the gospel is come to me, find life in me, continue to be sustained by me, make your home with me and I'll make my home with you and in this you will find life. By this, God is glorified, according to verse 8. When the disciples have made their home in Christ, when everything is shaped by him, abiding in Christ, that is the proof. The fruit that is born is not simple external action, but it's actually internal transformation that pours out into every area of life. Abiding with Christ is so very simple and yet it will cost you so much more than you ever even knew it could. It's this simple act. I I mean, we could recognize all day that the Father's the vine dresser, that that something about this act is, is really all God and yet there's something that we're called to do in this passage. Abide. Make your home with I've never seen a branch and said that branch grew beautifully. It's always the work of the vine. It's always the work of the gardener. And yet, at the same time, there's something about the way that we are called to posture ourselves within this chapter of scripture that invites us into something that's deeper than simply an invitation. It's more than that. It's saying everything about him. Abiding in him. My life is his. All of it. And here's what I know about that. That's confusing. It doesn't make much sense. But here's what I also know about that. That apart from Christ, apart from Christ, I can do nothing, and you can do nothing, and this church can do nothing. (laughs) Apart from Christ, it's a building. A building that needs work. Apart from Christ, I am nothing. That's the invitation of the Christian life, to be at home with Christ, not, not to treat him as a doorway to get to the destination, but the destination. All of it. At home in him. I think there's some practical realities of this, and we're going to get into more of this passage later on in, in the coming weeks, but I think abiding means that you surround yourself with things that remind you of your identity in Christ. I think abiding means you surround yourself with things that remind you of your identity in Christ. Like that's a practical way that you can abide in Christ to be in the word of God and, and prayer and reminding yourself regularly, this is what God has said about me. This is what Christ has done for me. To be around the body of Christ who can remind you of these things. This is what God has said about me. This is, this is what the gospel is. It's not saying that to abide in Christ means you must do all of these things, but what it is saying is that to abide in Christ, you must make your home in him and that will shape the way you do everything else in life. We were praying over this passage on Wednesday. And Joe mentioned something. He, he just was like, it's so simple, but it feels complicated. And I think that that's a really accurate way of describing the Christian life. It's so simple, but it feels complicated. To... to To recognize that everything is of him is a lifetime of work and you need other people around you to do that. One of the things we want to do this year or this summer specifically is we want to shape our Sunday morning gatherings uh, around prayer a little bit more. And so um, after our sermon, I I think every week after our sermon, what we're going to do is um, it would be really easy to just like pray, close with with a great song and then take off from here. But but what I want to do is I want to just ask this simple question and then invite us to pray through this together. Um, What does it look like for you to be at home with Christ? What does it look like for you to be at home with Christ? And we're going to ask that the Spirit would do a work in applying that to you through a time of prayer together. And my, my invitation for all of us is this is a, this is a moment. We're going to pray for like 10 minutes, so get comfortable. Um, we're thankful the AC is working now. So um, we, we're going to pray for 10 minutes together. And we're going to ask that if you feel like you need somebody to pray for you, you go to somebody else in the body of Christ and you say, hey, will you pray for me? Um, we're going to get into this in further weeks, but something about abiding requires relationship with other Christians. And so as we enter into this time of prayer, what does it look like for you personally to make your home with Christ? And then I want to encourage you to pray with others if needed. Father, I pray that your spirit would move among us, that you would lead us into truth, today? God, I recognize the the limitation of my ability to communicate and yet what a beautiful truth it is that your spirit is here amongst us now is convicting where conviction is needed is leading into righteousness where righteousness is needed is, is renewing hearts where that's needed Lord, so we pray right now that as we ask this question, what does it look like for me personally to be at home with Christ. I pray that you would lead us into truth. I encourage you to pray on your own for a moment.